Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do come and we worship and we praise you this morning. God, we just thank you for the blessing of today to be uh, with your people, but to be in your presence and to be able to commune with you face to face uh, through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray now that as you speak to us, that you would plant your word in our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Lord, you know that the world in which we live is uh, oftentimes a very difficult one, sometimes very lonely. Sometimes, God, just the, the weight of living in a fallen world is so much. But we pray today that we could hear words of life that would encourage us. Lord, I pray that you would speak now to us, your people. We pray in your name. Amen. So how many times have you heard yourself say something like this, that, wow, that would take a miracle? It might be in a relationship that you have with someone and the whole idea of of being uh, reconciled to that person and you're like, yeah, that would take a miracle. Or maybe it might be have something to do with a situation at work or or maybe how your kids are turning out and you sort of feel like they're getting off on the wrong path. And for them to get back on the right path, you just think, yeah, that would take a miracle. It might be uh, your marriage that you're struggling and you think, oh, to love my husband again or my wife again in the way in which I did that would take a miracle. It may just be some circumstance in your life and, and difficulty that you're going through that you would think that that has taken a miracle. But I'll tell you, we all have been there. At one time or another, we have probably said those words. And in the midst of those times, we know deep down that God is powerful and we know that God loves us. But given enough time and not seeing any change, we can begin to wonder Will it ever? And is there any reason for me to hope? And I want us to come to Ephesians chapter 3, this great doxology that that Paul prays at the end of chapter 3 of Ephesians. And I want us to be encouraged. I want us to see what Paul sees. You know, he's already talked about and prayed this great prayer In verses 14 through 19, he has prayed a bold prayer and an astounding prayer. He prays that that you would be strengthened in the depths of your inner being by the power of God's Holy Spirit so that you would be able to grasp something that is uh, ultimately unable to be grasped by a human. And that is the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love of God in Christ Jesus that, that we would be rooted and we would be grounded in the love of Christ. You see, Paul wants us as believers to be awash in the sense of the greatness of the love of Christ for us. The unfathomable love, the, the deep, deep love of Jesus as we sing so often. And then he goes on to conclude the prayer with something absolutely astounding. He says, and the Lord God fill them up with all your fullness. Now we talked about that last week and, and, and what that means. And it really is a, a stunning prayer uh, that you would become a literal tabernacle where the Spirit of God comes down in His Shekinah glory and, and make it a temple for the living God. 
that that's who we are as individual believers, but that's also who we are as a church, as we'll talk about just a little bit later. But think about this in light of what happened in the Garden of Eden. I mean, you think about right after creation was made and God played, placed Adam and Eve in the garden and they were enjoying all that was there. And then uh, Satan shows up in the form of a snake and, and Satan says to Eve, you know, take the fruit that God forbade her to eat. He said, take the fruit and eat and you will be like God. And of course, this was a temptation for Eve. I mean, thinking of possessing the, God's authority and his power and his omniscience, his all-knowingness, his omnipotence, his all being all-powerful. And so Eve took the fruit and she ate and she gave it to her husband who was there as well. And he ate. And unfortunately, they didn't become like God. Instead, they were banned from the garden and they fell into sin. And sin has been part of the world ever since. But Paul is saying, in essence, and he is praying, Lord, make them like you. Not in his omniscience or in his rule and his authority, but God, make them morally like you so that they would love what you love and that they would hate what you hate and so that they would look like you so that that people could look at them and they see their character and they see their lives and they say there's something different about these people. Remember how Peter describes it in his letter? He said that we as Christians are a peculiar people. We are people that people should be able to look at and go, I don't know who their God is, but there is something different about these people. And that's what he's praying for uh, for them. And so while Adam and Eve were seeking to be like God, uh, Paul says he is praying that that would be exactly what would happen, that the Lord God would make us perfect, make us like him, like our heavenly father. And so what, what Paul is really doing in these last couple of verses of this wonderful prayer is he is seeking to lift up our gaze upward from the impossible that happens in our lives to the place of real power where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he praises God for a number of things. And I want us to look at those this morning. The first thing we see is, is that he praises God for his power. And if you look at verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able. Now, able to do what? What is God able to do? Well, Paul is saying that God has no limit to his ability. And that's important for Paul to say because he has just prayed this bold prayer. God, make these Christians, let, let them experience the fullness of who you are. Make them perfect. And then Paul says, guess what? And God is able to do that. But there's more. He goes on and he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Now, some of your translations may say uh, exceedingly abundantly above all, you know. But either way, it's just this magnanimous statement that Paul is making. God is unlimited in his power as to what he is able to do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? There's no limit on God's power. God is so unlimited in his power that not only is he able to do what we ask, we can never ask anything that even stretches God, that even challenges him. But 
he is able to do that which we can never even imagine as well. He can do things that we can't even think of. He is that great. So God's powerful. So God is so powerful that that our creative brains can't fathom all that God can do. And this is an important lesson for us to to understand because sometimes when we come to God with our urgent needs, we are concerned that our prayers, I think, sometimes are too bold or they're too big or, or, or what we're asking is too much. And so we don't ask those things. And instead, we sometimes worry you know, I, I sort of like a, a child, you know, at the beach who's pretending. You ever seen a kid at the beach? Um, I know we don't have a lot of beaches in Kansas, but, uh, you know, maybe you traveled and you went to the beach and you saw a kid, you know, taking this little shovel and taking the water out of the ocean and putting it in a bucket. And you're thinking, what are you going to do, kid? You think you're going to carry the ocean away, you know, in this bucket? You know, but when we worry that somehow we're asking too much of God as if somehow we could exhaust the vast ocean depths of His grace that He is pouring out upon us. You know, I think we just, we just don't understand how great and vast God is. You know, all we need to do is ask. James says, remember when we went through the book of James, he says, you have not because you ask not. And we're like someone who I think has sometimes never visited the ocean. And so we just have a hard time imagining that the ocean could be so vast and so big. And in the same way, sometimes we know God, sort of, but we don't understand who God is in his vastness. And so we don't come to him and we don't ask boldly. We worry, don't we? We really doubt somewhere deep in the operational centers of our heart the deep motivations of our soul, the deep structures of our thinking. We're, we're, we're worried that maybe God's grace just is not big enough or vast enough that it's limitless. And so we don't pray as we ought to pray. You know, maybe I shouldn't pray that bold, risky prayer. Um, you might have heard the story. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a story that goes around. Let's just assume it is. But it's of Alexander the Great. Uh, He was a great uh, Macedonian Greek conquering king, and he had great riches and wealth and power. And one day, one of his generals came to him and he said, Alexander, he said, I would like you to pay for my daughter's wedding. And uh, Alexander said, okay, I'll do that. He said, go to my treasure and tell him what you need. And he said, uh, have him give it to you. And that's good. And so the general goes to the treasurer and he asks for a certain amount of money. And the treasurer is just taken back. And so he comes to, to Alexander and he said, did you tell this man that he could ask for anything he wanted? And uh, Alexander said, yes, I did. He says, well, do you know how much he wants to spend on this wedding? And uh, so he tells Alexander and then he steps back. Because he's thinking he's just going to become furious that this man is taking advantage of him. And Alexander, instead of getting angry, looks at him and says, give it to him. And the treasurer says, why would you do that? And Alexander says, don't you know what an honor this man is doing me by asking for such a ridiculous amount? He he is showing that he believes that I am both rich And I am generous. 
And God is not dishonored by big, bold, audacious, audacious prayers, by risk-taking Christians who expect much from God and attempt much for God in his kingdom. Now, I'm not talking about here, and don't confuse this with saying that I think you need to go out and pray for God to give you a new 4x4 pickup truck. That's not what I'm saying. Or that God's going to give you a bigger house. You know, that, that those are the kind of things we're talking about. We're talking about praying for things that are according to God's will. That God would so work in our hearts that, he would, that we would know the love of God. So you really show that you believe that he is able, brothers and sisters, when you pray big, bold prayers for God and his kingdom to be known and expanded. When you go outside of your comfort zone, when you go across your street, or around the world and you open your mouth and then you share about Christ and you pray that God would answer that prayer, you are showing that you really understand who God is. When you do such things leaning upon Him and His strength, you show that you really believe, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, you show that you are supernaturalist, that you are living not in your own strength but in Him because He is able He is an all-powerful and a mighty God. It is in His wisdom and in His strength that He works. Now, it is true that God may not give us always those things that we ask for, right? But it's not because He's not unable, as His power is absolutely unlimited. Rather, it is because He may not answer our prayers because it's in His good and His perfect will. He knows it's not good for us. I know my children and my, especially my grandchildren, I would give them anything, anything within my ability, as long as I knew that it was good for them. But if they ask me for something, I may not give it to them because it's either not good for them or I have something even better planned for them. There's been times my grandkids have come and asked me for things and I'm thinking, oh, you don't want that because over here, Papa has this planned. You know, and you're going to be really excited when you get that. And in much the same way, it is true with God that he sometimes doesn't give us that. Tim Keller wrote a book on prayer where he says, when we pray, we can be certain that God will always give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that Jesus knows. Isn't that a good way of putting it? You know, that that. We can be certain that God will always give us what we would ask for if we knew everything that Jesus knows. Now, the problem is we don't know everything Jesus knows. We don't see the beginning from the end. And I don't even know what's going to happen this evening, let alone the rest of my life or, or for all eternity. So, so my praying, your praying, is limited by our wisdom. And, and so uh, we oftentimes struggle and have shadows of doubt. Uh, you know, we can't come to God and say, God, this is what I want and you got to do it this way. When we pray, we can be sure that God will always give us what he would have asked for. What uh, he would, he, God will always give us what we would have asked for if he knew everything that Jesus knows. But the problem is, is that we don't always know that. And to some degree, I, I understand how we might be sort of timid because we don't always know what the outcome ought to be. And to some degree, uh, I think there ought to be a sense of humility when we pray 
But if we pray for what God wants and for the furtherance of his kingdom and the ability to love others that we ought to pray or the ability to witness or the ability to give generously or the ability to express love to one another, we have to pray with great boldness, expecting that God will answer those prayers. But even for those things, I think, that are uncertain, we should pray more boldly than what we do. Uh, I think oftentimes our prayers were too timid. And as many of you know, our granddaughter uh, journey is in the hospital in Kansas City and Mercy Hospital. And uh, the doctors uh, have come in this week and they have said, we're stuck. We don't know what to do. We got a baby who's laying here who looks healthy, but her heart's just not getting better. We did a procedure and we expected that to fix it and it's not working. She still has a hole in her heart. The one side of her heart's uh, underdeveloped. And yeah, we're just, we're not sure how to proceed. And so we sent out a prayer uh, request to our prayer supporters and we asked them to pray. And uh, anyway, as we are waiting for the answer, We've gotten a lot of notes back from people encouraging us, but there was one note in particular that I thought, you know, really, it just gives a good example of what it means to boldly but humbly approach God in prayer. And this is what um, one person wrote to us. They said, Rick and Robbie, we just read your update on Precious Baby Journey and wanted you to know that we are walking with you as we wait to see what God has ordained for her life. Because we don't know the number of days ordained for journey, we are pleading for a miracle from the maker of hearts. Now, listen to that. You see, I think sometimes we would look at that and say, well, I don't know if it's God's will that she live for more days or not. And because we don't know the number of days of her life, we just don't pray. But this person says, because we don't know, because we don't know that she want, he wants to take her home to glory, we're going to pray Uh, for a miracle from the maker of hearts. They go on to say, though, they said, we know that there is not a cell in her little body that would not respond to the voice of its creator if he so chooses. So we are praying in hope for journey. They ended it this way. He is able. He is able. It's so important for us as Christians to know that he is able because sometimes I think we go to the Lord with our prayers in the midst of hopeless circumstances and we are grieved deeply in our hearts about matters it might be a child who's going astray it may be a deep wound in our soul because uh, we've lost a loved one and we know that we'll never see them again this side of glory it might be because we've been betrayed by a friend it may be a, a a failure on our own part. Maybe it's a sin that we can't seem to conquer and we feel futile when we come to God in prayer. But but what are we trusting in? What are we trusting in? Are we trusting in God to do what that which only He could do? Uh, and when He does it, He gets the glory because we know it can't be done? So like this with, with Baby Journey, that if if God so chooses to heal her heart, You know, I'm sure the doctors will say, well, I guess her heart just healed itself. But we would know what the real answer is to that. Now, that doesn't mean that if the Lord chooses to take her home and to be with him, that that's not a blessed thing as well. We will grieve greatly as a family, 
But we will know that she will not have had to grow up in a fallen, sinful world. But she would go straight from her hospital room to the presence of her Lord and her Savior. And what could be a more glorious thing than that? But we pray boldly because we know that God is able and we trust him. Uh, I don't know what kind of relationship you had with your parents, uh, but I knew that I could ask things of my parents. And if they felt like it was fit, they would do it uh, and they would gladly do it. But if I was asking for the wrong thing, they wouldn't scold me. They may not let me have it. But they would not scold me, just like I wouldn't with my grandchildren as well. And so as we come to God, we must come to him and uh, pray uh, that uh, for those things that uh, his word lays out for us to, to pray for and give praise for his power. But we also need to praise God for his power in believers. Look at the end of verse 20. He says, uh, Paul singing sort of this doxology and he says to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work and then fill in the blank. Now, if I were writing this, I would say according to the power at work when God spoke and all of creation came into existence. Or I would say according to the power at work when God chose to part the Red Sea and the entire nation of Israel crossed through and then he washed out Pharaoh's army. Or I would say according to the power at work when God knocked down the walls of Jericho when Israel marched around it. Or any other great miracle that you see in the Bible. But that's not what he says. He says according to the power at work within us. The power at work already is in the life of us as Christians today. But I think oftentimes that's so counterintuitive. Isn't it true that we tend to overlook that and to say, what power? You know, Christian churches seem to be struggling to survive with declining memberships. You have Christian marriages that are falling apart. You have Christian kids that are walking away from the faith. And you think that God's power is so small or it's inadequate for the challenge that we face. You know, if, if you might say, well, if we're talking about power, God, I need more of it. But he says... That God's power is at work within us. And he describes that power back in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where he says that power that is worked within us is the resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This power that we overlook, that we think so little about at work in our lives as Christians, is resurrection power. It is the power that broke the bonds of death and brought again from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the power that is at work within us. And we need to be careful as Christians that we not confuse God's power with the church functioning in its own strength. I think that's what we see many times in the church today. We look around and we're not praying to God for great things. We're not praying big prayers. We're not believing him. Instead, we're rolling up our, our, our sleeves and we're just working hard. And we're doing so much ministry in our own strength. And so people are not coming to faith in Jesus Christ because they're not convinced with our pitiful little efforts. 
But that doesn't mean that therefore God is unable or that God is powerless. We as God's people need to be reminded that God is at work. The fact that you're sitting here shows God's power. As Christians, we are here today because of God's power. We are preserved in our faith today because of God's power. And that power will keep us to the end. He is able. And the proof of that is the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. There is no body in his tomb because of God's resurrection power that brought him back to life. And so as we think of praying uh, to God for work in our communities, as we think about stepping out in faith, in obedience, as we read God's commands in his words, we think, oh, Lord, okay, I'm convicted. I need to do that. As we think about doing that, we need to understand, is there really any such thing as risk in the Christian life when behind us stands the omnipotent might of the one who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we think or ask? Of course there's no risk. Because God is able to do whatever he desires through his church. But Paul not only gives praise for what God does in the life of believers, but also in his church as well. Look at verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. God's grace is displayed in his people um, as he makes... These two people, one, as he takes Jew and Gentile and he brings them together. Psalm 19 is a wonderful psalm and it talks about the glory of God that's seen in the heavens and in creation. As the stars come out at night and they do exactly what God has created them to do, they bring God glory. As the sun comes up every day and shines, it is bringing God's glory because it's doing exactly what he commanded. As the birds sit outside your window and sing, that probably hasn't happened recently, but as the birds do that, they are bringing God glory. And so he says here that, uh, that the glory, though, that happens in creation is nothing compared to the glory that God is showing amongst his people. That Paul says that the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory uh, that has come down, that dwells with us as God's people is even greater. This morning, God is present with us. Now, in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to be in God's presence was a deadly thing. You couldn't get near God. If you were near God in the Old Testament, uh, you would be obliterated. You would be struck down dead. And there's examples of that in the uh, Old Testament where there were those who put their hand in the Ark of the Covenant to balance it and they were struck down dead. But today, Paul says, now that Jesus Christ has come and the temple curtain has been torn in two from top to bottom at the crucifixion, because of the cross, we can go all the way into the glorious presence of God and have fellowship with Him. And to do so boldly and fully, uh, communing with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, uh, God gives us that great privilege and opportunity today. Um, you know, I just think about how glorious God is at work in our midst. Even though we may not outwardly see that, inwardly he is doing something wonderful and great. I mean, you think about how many Ephesians were there in the room at Ephesus. And, you know, I'm old, but I'm not that old, so I wasn't there, kids. 
But, you know, what was there, 35? Was there 40, 45? Did they squeeze in 50 people in this small house in Ephesus who were reading Paul's letter? We don't know. But could, they, could this small group of Christians have imagined uh, just a few years later, an 86-year-old man would come under uh, the ministry of the gospel and he would come to faith in Christ and, and uh, he would stand before the Roman council when he was 86 years old and the council would say, Polycarp, you renounce Jesus Christ or you die. Could you imagine him standing there before these Roman officials and he's saying, you know, I've served the Lord Jesus Christ for 86 years and he's never done me any harm. How could I reject him now? And he then died for his faith. We couldn't imagine perhaps two young martyrs, uh, Perpetua and her dear friend. These were young girls who were taken and tortured and forced to do unspeakable things because the authorities wanted them to renounce Christ. They ultimately died for their faith and yet professing their faith to the end. They couldn't have imagined probably Augustine or Calvin or Luther or Spurgeon or Whitfield or a great many other host of preachers or, or martyrs. They couldn't imagine that today there would be two billion people around the earth that would profess the name of Jesus Christ. But God says, Ephesians, don't doubt it. My work and my glory is at work in you as the church. It will prevail. That same power and glory that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is able to accomplish everything that God has. And so we're to praise God for that power and his glory that's demonstrated uh, through his church. But then finally, and this is just to really, I'm just going to mention this, is just he also praises God for his power in all eternity. He shows us that the work that God is doing in his church is not just something that happened in the Old Testament. It is happening today and it's going to happen in the future. He says to him who is to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, what? Throughout all generations. Okay, so this is something that is continuing even to this day. This is something we should be praying for, for Kirk of the Plains, that God's glory would be seen in our midst, brothers and sisters. And not only here upon this earth, but he even looks into eternity and says forever and ever. Amen. It looks forward to the day when we will stand before our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will worship and we will praise him for the work that he is doing in our hearts. And so as we come this morning, I don't know. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's going on in your life completely. But there may be things that you've been very timid Maybe you felt like if you prayed too boldly to the Lord, your prayers would be presumptuous. And I think you do have to, when you pray, you do have to hold it with an open hand. But let us not ask for little things as we come before our God. It, it, not only is his power great, but his love for his church and his people is as great. And he wants to give us those things that will glorify him. And so take out your Bibles and as you pray for one another through the week, look at the promises of God and pray those promises for one another and for one another's lives and expect the Lord to work. And let's see what God will do in our midst. Amen? Let's trust Him. Let's please bow our heads for a time of, of meditation this morning.
We thank you, Lord God. We praise you and thank you that you are able, that you are able to to do such a work in our inner being to, to strengthen us so we could see the fullness of God in us uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of your Holy Spirit. We do pray for that work, Lord, in the hearts of every person that is here today within the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that if there's any that do not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would do that miraculous work of regenerating their hearts and making them new creatures in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, I know that you are able, and I pray that you might do so for your glory. But I also would pray, Lord, for those that know you, that you would guard us, Lord, from the comforts of this world, from the things that seek to distract us, and the things almost like the sirens, the, the, the females that would sing to lure in the sailors, uh, God to sort of cast them under their spell so they weren't really paying attention to the reality around them. God, this world can be like that siren that can make us think that the things that are real are only the things that we can see and touch and taste uh, with our bodies and that, therefore, that's all we ought to think about. And totally ignoring the reality of the spiritual world that is around us. But God, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would stir our hearts in devotion for those things that are spiritual. I pray for any of the kids that are here today, Lord, that are growing up in church and going, oh, when's this going to be over? Lord, I pray that you would so work in the hearts of those kids, Lord, to set them aside as your holy vessels to be used to proclaim your gospel message. Lord, may they use, be used mightily to honor and to glorify you. Father, I just pray that you would continue to bring us together as brothers and sisters in Christ in the bond of love, to love and to care. Uh, may the love that we have be increased even more so as we uh, are aware of one another's needs and reaching out and caring for one another. Uh, Lord, we know that there are many unspoken prayer requests here this morning, things that people have not shared that we've not shared publicly, but then that weigh in our people's hearts. Lord, we lift them up to you and we pray that in your grace that you would answer these prayers according to your will. Uh, we thank you, God, that you are great. Please stretch our faith, Lord. Stretch our faith to understand the greatness of who you are that you might be glorified. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.